good to see you. Last week of school. I didn't know if anybody was excited. Yeah, that comes from a teacher. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I love this time of year because we, we get our college kids back for uh, maybe a few weeks, and it's always good to, to see them. But uh, uh, also, I, I, uh, Round Rock Christian had their graduation yesterday up here, and so I appreciate our worship team having to set up late. But uh, also, uh, uh, Matt, it's the year of the Dragon, man. Uh, the Dragon baseball team, Johnny Carter, Coach Carter was in the first service, and they, uh, we own Lake Travis. Uh, uh, they, yeah, they won yesterday, uh, uh, Friday, and, uh, and so uh, what that means is, is that we advanced to the regional finals. You notice I said we, you know? I haven't thrown a ball or hit anything, but I say we because uh, it because we're part of what's going on, and so uh, that's that's a big deal. Uh, for you that are new today, welcome. We're walking through a little letter in the New Testament called the Book of Philippians, and we're in Philippians two twelve is where we're going to pick it up in just a moment. But let me uh, let me kind of whet your appetite as we get into this. Michelangelo, the great sculptor, painter, uh, <clears throat> he even wrote poetry. He was uh, just a creative genius. And uh, one day, he was staring at a block of marble that had been discarded by builders. And looking at that block of marble, he's staring at it a long time. And finally, somebody walks up to him and says, Why are you staring at that discarded piece of marble? And he said, what I see is an angel just ready to come out. And he began to take his chisel and his hammer, and of course he turned that discarded piece of marble into an angel. And the reason I use that story to introduce where we're going today is that so many of us uh, view life from our circumstances, right? I mean, we look at our circumstances and... If things are going okay, then we feel good about our life situation. We feel contentment and joy. But when circumstances don't look good, we get shook up like one of those snow scenes and we, we don't feel content or don't feel joy, any joy. But I want you to know, God is at work. When there's times you feel discarded, you feel like life is just the pits, circumstances can't get any worse, I want you to know that what God sees in an angel prepared to come out. And He is at work in the midst of that. And you need to know that. Because we don't have a God that's idle and not involved in our lives. He's intimately involved in everything you're going through and He will use it for His glory. But here's the deal. Last week... Paul gave us this incredible example of letting your attitude be the same as Christ Jesus who emptied himself, humbled himself to, uh, to obedience, to the, even going to the cross. And, uh, and we see that, and we see that he was willing to humble himself and walk in total humility, and he was the most content person ever on the planet. And so we think, okay... I see what you're saying, Paul, but how can I even begin to do that? 
And so we want to we want to walk into this today, looking at once again how Paul uh, talks about this life of contentment, and uh, and he leads us on farther into that today. So we're in Philippians chapter two, and we're going to begin in verse twelve. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit, and then we'll stop and unpack some things. And and uh, I believe God has a very practical message for you today and uh, in, in how can we have this secret of contentment. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me stop there just a moment. He starts out by encouraging the people in this paragraph. He's encouraging. He says, he says, uh, that you have grown even in my absence. You know, we, I've got to look back. I can't point fingers at you. I can remember being in especially elementary school. There was a difference in my behavior when the teacher was in the room and the teacher was not in the room. Can anybody identify with what I'm saying? Today, though, I know over here in the school they have cameras in every room. That, that's not good. Um, but you would be different when the teacher's in the room than when the teacher was not in the room. And Paul is able to say here, listen, when I was with you, you were growing. You, you were, uh, the model of Christ was being displayed in your life. But not even when I was there, even more in my absence, you've been growing. And you have been uh, uh, displaying the life of Christ in your lives. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to uh, look like Christ in, in our lives as, as he works this out in us. And notice what he says. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that creates a little bit of a, uh, a problem for us because we talk about salvation is a free gift, that Jesus went to the cross and it's a gift to anyone. And now Paul is saying here, work out your salvation uh, with fear and trembling. What does he mean here? The scriptures kind of teach us that there's a progress that happens. We are saved. When Christ went to the cross, he, he uh, uh, made it available for anyone who would call upon his name. You see, the, God created the world perfect through sin. Uh, we, we corrupted that perfection. <clears throat> we needed a Savior. God sent Jesus Christ. We killed him. We put him on a cross. He died for the sins of mankind. He rose from the dead. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Scripture said. So the Scripture said, it's one and for all time that I can be saved. But then the Bible goes on to say, not only are you saved, but you're being saved and you will be saved. There's a progress, you know as well as I do, that, that I came to Christ as an eight-year-old boy. I've sinned more since I came to Christ than I, before I came to Christ. But what has happened is, is I know the penalty of that sin has been paid for by Jesus and I have received that into my life. So I have been saved, but I'm in the process of working this out, sanctification, in my life. 
and eventually I'll be in the presence of the Lord. I hope that makes sense to you. The word work out here is, a, is an interesting term. It it's means to bring to completion. It's a picture of you have a mine, and in that mine are these ores, and what you do is you get all the ore out of that mine. You don't stop with just a little. You take all of it. And what Paul is saying here is you work out your salvation. You grab for all that God has for you. The other picture is a field that is to be harvested and that you go to that field and you get all of the grain in that field. You don't just cut an acre. You take all of it that's there. And that's what this word means. He, what he's given the picture of, for you as a Christian, he's writing to Christians, for you as a Christian, what you need to do is you need to live this life to the fullness of what I have for you. And then he says this, your own salvation. I want you to grab this right quick because I'm going to share with you some truth. You cannot become a follower of Jesus Christ because your grandfather was a preacher. You cannot become a follower of Jesus Christ because you came to church and you got a gold star for perfect attendance. You can only become a follower of Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross and by your response to that. It's, it's like uh, the doctor gives you a prescription. Okay? The prescription is the cure. But you have to take that prescription and you have to fill it and take it. You see, God did everything. He did everything through Jesus Christ. It's like the prescription of your eternal destiny has been given to you. But are you going to receive it or not? And he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what I've discovered is that many people, when it comes to their eternal destiny with Christ, are still trying to earn it with their own merit. Do you really think you can do that? I mean, do you think you can handle perfection? I do not. I, I know I need a Savior. Many of us are like the little boy who, who was playing in the mud, and he, he just played with his right hand in the mud. And he's coming in the house, and he says, and his mom says to him, Son, don't you think you need to wash your hand? He said, No, Mom, I'm just going to clean it off with the other hand. And so what we, what we so often do is, we say, okay, God, I know I'm broken. I know I'm a sinner. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to fix it on my own. You can't fix it on your own. Seven billion people on this planet, we're all separated from God by sin, except for what Jesus has done for us, we can receive that by faith. So we, we, we work this out with fear and trembling. Now, we do not fear God. We just do not. We've lost the awe of God. We, we've lost it for some reason. We've become very uh, docile in our own faith instead of seeing the magnificent God that He is. And we have lost that fear and trembling. I, I, uh, I was reminded as I've reread through the Old Testament, there's a couple of accounts that I think are very moving that ought to mean something to us. One is 
Joshua, they're about to go fight the battle of Jericho. And the night before, he's kind of wandered out there, a leader by himself, and he's confronted by a being. The being uh, says that they are the captain of the Lord of hosts. But what Joshua said is, are you for us or against us? In other words, I'm going to pull out my sword if you're not for us, and I'm going to go to battle with you. And, and the captain of the Lord of hosts says, I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. I, I believe it's a manifestation of God, Jesus, and, and what, uh, uh, what, he, what he says at that point, he says, I am not for you and I'm not for them. In other words, there is but one God and he is in control. And so Joshua, you know, has to respond only way you would respond by falling at your face upon God because there was a fear. It, it was not, it was not like I am, I am for God. He, he is God and, and he is magnificent. He is holy. He holds my next breath in his hand. The, the next one I thought about was, many of you will remember the story in the Old Testament about where David went to get the ark. They're going to bring the ark of the covenant uh, before Harrison Ford got it. And, and they were going to go get the ark of the covenant and they were going to bring it into Jerusalem. And so what they do is they get a new cart and they're going to transport it into Jerusalem. The scriptures were very clear that the only one to carry the ark were to be priests and they were to carry it on their shoulders. But they didn't read that part. And so they, they get it on this cart. The cart, the oxen stumble, the cart is about to tip and the, and the ark is falling over. A guy by the name of Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark and he's, God strikes him dead. And, and all of a sudden it says that, first of all, David was angry. And then the scripture says this, David feared God on that day. There was a fear that he came over him, like, how can I even serve this God who is so holy? And we have lost our, our fear and trembling of God. But that's what Paul says. He says, you need to work out this salvation with fear and with trembling. Here's... Here's a thought that I want to give you. God must work in us before he works through us. God must work in us before he works through us. You see, salvation I talked about was this one-for-all occurrence. There's confession. There's repentance. There's receiving what God has done as he convicts us, as he draws him to himself. And it's an eternal transformation that takes place. We cannot earn it. We cannot earn it at all. But God has to do this work in us before He can do a work through us. Many of us, many of us um, have got this plan about everything we're going to do for God. I'm going to go do these things for God. He needs me to help Him out on these things. Do you think God really needs you? I mean, really? The answer is no. But he chooses to use you. And he works this, this work in you. And as he does this work in you, now he's able to use you and to do things through you. And look at the next verse there in uh, uh, verse 13. 
For it is God who works in you. Here's the answer. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is God who is at work in you. He is, the, the literal picture is, God is the energy that's going to allow you to live this life that we're talking about. God is your energy. We are called to be an imitation, we are not called to be an imitation, we are called to be an incarnation. Let me say that again. We are not called to be an imitation. We are called to be an incarnation. What that means is this, is that we, we can get a picture of Jesus and we can say, oh, I'm going to start acting like that. I'm going to start doing those things. I'm going to start being a man of humility. I'm going to start doing this. You can't do it. I, I, believe me, I've tried. You cannot do it. It's an incarnation. It's only God's Spirit in you as you become a new creation, that He works it out from you. I hope that makes sense. Because, and I know it sounds mystical, it sounds kind of hocus-pocus, but let me tell you, God's Holy Spirit indwells you. And He is at work in you, making you more like Christ. And it's He that is at work in you. In fact, the Scripture says, I, I want you to grab this. It says in verse 13, For His... Good pleasure. Have you ever thought of why you're on this planet? I know some of you think the world revolves around you. It does not. Have you ever thought about why you're on this planet? It says right there, you were created for his pleasure. That's it. He didn't need you. He didn't, he didn't wring his hands and think, oh, what am I going to do with the United States of America? Oh, they're turning from me. He's not doing that. You were created for his good pleasure. That's it. It says in the book of Revelation, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, they are and were created. You were created for his pleasure. And then it says in the uh, book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word workmanship literally means masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You are beautifully made. And you were created for His purpose and pleasure alone. I hope that sinks in. And I'm not making that up. And I'm not saying that to make you feel good. I'm just saying that as a fact that you were created for the pleasure of God. He doesn't need you. He chose to create you for His good pleasure. And the more we look like Jesus, the more pleasure He gets. Here's your second thought. If the workman is what he ought to be, the work will be what it ought to be. Let me say that again. If the workman, we, we created for good works. If the workman is what he ought to be, the work will be what it ought to be. And here's what that means. What are you supposed to work on? You were supposed to work on your depth and your walk 
with Jesus Christ. His Spirit is working that out of you. And then what He leads you to do will have the proper results. Listen, on my own, I'm going to run ahead of Him or I'm going to lag behind. But when I'm walking in step with Him is when things happen. And the question is, okay, Mark, He's at work in me. How do I experience more of Him at work in me? I don't see it sometimes. I, I... I don't see, when I look at the discarded marble, I don't see an angel. When I look in the mirror, I don't, don't see it. Mark, how can I uh, become more of the person that Paul is asking us to become? Here's a couple of thoughts. One is to yield. Yield, submit, surrender, however you want to use the term. Where you come before holy God and realize that you are not God, and you submit and you yield your life to Him. You give it to Him. But Mark, that's hard. The flesh is so strong, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, that flesh is so strong. And, and yet we can come and say, God, I submit to you. I yield to you. Please take my flesh. Go ahead and take it to that cross. It, like James prayed earlier, apart from you, I can do nothing. I realize that. I submit to you. Second of all is... Do not neglect the Word of God. And, and somebody's going to say, Mark, you say that every message. It's like it's, like it's the answer to everything. Well, this, this book is more than just a book. It's not, it's not uh, just ink and paper and leather. This is the Word of God. It, he, I, I, I tell you, when I read the book of Philippians that we're studying right now, the reason we're studying it is because we have been been such a people of lack of joy and contentment over the past year and God just said okay I've dealt with that let's study it and it's the word of God so don't neglect read it heed it apply it thirdly pray and we say we're people of prayer but so often we just token prayer we pray at our meals we pray uh, at bedtime but are we really a people of prayer and, and you can ask, you can ask for His Holy Spirit even to indwell you more. Um, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is saying, He's saying, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? Ask. So yield, read the Word, pray, and then third, you're not going to like this one. Suffer and serve. Suffer and serve. We're going to get to uh, Philippians chapter 3 in a couple of weeks. And whoa, it's just, it, it's just powerful. But there, in suffering and serving, we sense more of the presence of God. And listen, I, I've been honest with you because I love you and I want to coach you properly. We have gone from a post-Christian nation to an anti-Christian nation now. We are making that trip very quickly. And listen, when you're put in a situation, am I going to stand for Jesus? Am I going to truly be a Christian? You see, the term Christian came to them in the New Testament. It meant little Christ. Do we even resemble Christ? Do we deserve the title Christian? As the world starts to squeeze on us in it, 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 even more, I'm telling you, you will experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life.
Get ready for it. As our world squeezes you, you will find what you're made of, and you're going to be surprised because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And so you will, you will be able to stand. Now, what are the results? Let's quickly uh, go on. In verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in a day of Christ I may be, found, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He mentions... Five things there that are the benefit and the fruit of walking this life out under fear and trembling as God works in you. First of all, he says this, you'll be blameless. You'll be blameless. I, I really get concerned, especially with many pastors and, and uh, celebrity Christians. I hate to use that term, but that's what they are, and, and who have stumbled and fallen either morally or uh, financially or in their marriage or these kind of things because the world sees that and it, it just says there there you go but listen when we're walking in in the fullness of god when he is working this salvation out in us we become blameless and the best term i can use is we become like teflon uh most of you guys don't know what teflon is the ladies know what teflon is because you cook and, and things do not stick to it. it they, it's easily cleanable because things do not stick to it. I believe when a person is walking in the fullness of Christ and God is at work in him working this out, we become like Teflon and things do not stick to us. The only thing that sticks to us is that, yes, they're a follower of Jesus. You become blameless. The second thing he says is you become innocent. Uh, the word innocent means un, unmixed. Uh, not offensive. It's like Sam's video uh, with the kids' minute. It's it's not several colors together. I mean, it's integrity. You walk in integrity. The third thing is you become children without blemish. And what this literally means is you give off a good picture of what it means to follow Jesus. When people look at your life, it's not a set of rules. It's a relationship, living and healthy, that you're walking out. And, and fourthly, we shine as lights. Uh, he says we, we shine as lights in this world. And Jesus said he is the light of the world. And he, he challenged us to be the light of the world. And then he said, uh, live your lives in such a way that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what he, he said about us. But then Paul comes back here and he says, you are lights. And what does he really mean? There's one definition of light that I think is very valid here. It's the word for beacon. A beacon is a light that gives direction. And he is saying, you will be lights in the world. When you're walking according to the fullness and God is working this out in your life, you become beacons that other people can actually follow. What is sad today in, is that many Christians do not take this seriously and the world does not have a good picture to follow. 
But if we're walking in the fullness and, and He is living this out in us, then people can follow. Then the last thing He said is, you will have joy and you will be content. He says, he says basically, He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You want to know true contentment and joy? It's when God is fulfilling His purpose, which is His pleasure in you. It's not some man-made thing. It is God working in you. That's why Paul can say, I'm content in all things. One, one last thing, and then I'm going to be through. I want to go to verse 19 right quick. It says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he, was, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that, I, that shortly I myself will come also. Here's the last point. And here's the thought. We need to be grateful for our spiritual fathers or mothers. We need to be grateful for our spiritual fathers or mothers. Here's the deal. None of you came to Christ on your own. He, he drew you to himself, but he probably used somebody else in your life as a spiritual father or mother. We need Paul's. Paul influenced so many. He influenced Timothy. Timothy's going to influence others. And, and Paul is sending Timothy because he knows he will be a good example. He will be a spiritual father to them. And, and there's two ways that you can acknowledge a spiritual father or spiritual mother in your life. And it may be your earthly father or your earthly mother, but there's two ways you can do that. One is to live a life, live the life that they showed you how to live in the fullness of Christ. Live that life. The second way you can show your gratitude is by telling them, either by writing a letter making a phone call, sending an email, something to say, hey, thank you for investing in my life. I am still on this journey. I'm still on this spiritual journey. I'm not, maybe I'm not as far as I want to be, but I'm on this journey, and I want you to know I'm grateful to you for helping me along on this journey. And somebody may say, well, they're dead. I, I, I don't have that person to uh, go. You'll find somebody. We, we, we live in a day of we're terrible at encouraging. And I think that there are many, and I know somebody's going to say, yeah, Mark, I'll read the Bible, and someday we're going to be at the Bema Seat of Christ, and, and uh, we're going to see all the people that affect. Yeah, okay. I, I know that day's going to come. But it would be good as long as you have breath to be able to encourage somebody else that, hey, you had a huge impact on my life. And I want you to know that. For me, it was a youth minister by the name of Jerry Morris. He, and I've, I've told Jerry how much he meant to me. And it, it surprised him 
it surprised him. Because I, I don't think spiritual fathers and mothers necessarily uh, start out that way. They just are recognized that way. And so I want to encourage you, pick up your phone. Somebody uh, may need to send an email or write a letter. Just, man, I'm grateful for the impact you had on me. I want you to bow with me in prayer. I want to just real quickly speak to your heart and then pray for you. I'm going to ask this question just to your heart, just to you alone. It's one thing to know about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? I mean, do you want to know Him? Do you want to experience contentment and forgiveness and the freedom from the things that just hold you down? And He is waiting for you. He said, you, you that seek Me will find Me when you seek with all your heart, when you come and you ask I will, I will come. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and find rest. How many people want rest today? But, but we're not going to find it until we're willing to yield to Him. How many of you in this room still have been struggling with what your purpose is on this planet? And you, today, you just realize that according to God's Word, you were created for the pleasure of God alone. He doesn't need you. He wants you. You know, He's waiting for some of you in this room to just say, Okay, God, I surrender. And just to experience His fullness in your life. In just a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I, I, I would, you know, I pray, I pray some wild, wild prayers about Sunday morning. I pray that someday we're going to come and the Spirit of God is going to fall so heavy that we're afraid to move. Maybe you need to come to these steps, this altar, and just kneel and yield yourself to Him. we got the Lord's Supper on, on both sides. that You can come and experience that. Let me pray for you. Father, we need You. Lord, we thank You for what You have done. You've done it all. But Lord, You're waiting for us to yield, to take the prescription. So, Father, I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice, God, just show Yourself. Open the eyes of our heart that we may see You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand. Join our worship team.